It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hey, how's it going? Welcome to episode number 408 of Locked On Raptors for Thursday, November 1st. Oh my god, it's November already. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter as always at WoodleySean. Find the show at Locked On Raptors. You can find links to every single episode. And of course, make sure you're checking out the Locked On Podcast Network team-focused shows for all 30 NBA teams. we got Locked On Fantasy with Josh Lloyd, Locked On NBA with David Locke, and you can find those all together neatly organized for your listening pleasure on the Locked On NBA iTunes channel. Of course, if you're an NFL fan too, we got you covered there. We've got Locked On Fantasy Football, we've got Locked On NFL with Matt Williamson, we've got corresponding team focus shows for all 32 NFL teams. So if you're an NFL fan, you want to sort of get the lowdown on a team that is particularly interesting in the playoff race, or you just have a team you want to hear about, make sure you're checking out the corresponding Locked on NFL show as well. And if you find a show on the network that you like, please leave a rating or a review. It's the best way to support the shows. It's very, very helpful for algorithms and rankings and all that stuff. And uh, thank you to anyone who's left a rating or review already on our page. We're getting close to 150. Let's try to get that to 150 soon. It's uh, it's really cool to see that climb. And I appreciate anyone who's taken the very small amount of time it requires to leave a rating or a review. And uh, and also, I thank anyone who's going to do it in the future. It's, uh, it's deeply, deeply appreciated. And it's all I ask for you. Or all I ask from you um, for for putting this podcast out and for listening to the show. It's uh, it's a free podcast. This is the only thing you have to do is payment. Uh, I would very much appreciate it. Also, speaking of payment, if you'd like to, uh, if you have the means, if you're interested in some more extra po- uh, content, make sure you are checking out my Patreon page, patreoncom Raptors. It's a, a page on which I am providing a lot of uh, deep divey. Raptors history-ish podcasts, and there's going to be some big guests as well. The first one we had was with Kelly Dwyer, of course, from Second Arrangement, formerly of Yahoo Sports. We also did a deep dive on Mike James's 2005-06 season with the Raptors, and we are uh, going to be doing tomorrow an episode with myself and John Godis from Raptors HQ. We're going to be diving into Morris Peterson's miracle three-pointer against the Wizards back in 2007. Going to do about an hour on that, so stay tuned for the conversation of the three and also probably a eulogy of Michael Ruffin's career or something like that. So uh, if you are interested in that you want to hear that, a $5 subscription will get you access to the premium podcast. $7 gets you access to a special project as well, which I haven't quite figured out what I'm going to do yet but it'll be something fun so uh please subscribe if you have the means and if you're interested in supporting me at patreon.com slash sean woodley raptors all right let's get to today's show after that long preamble uh this is a mailbag podcast this might be a two-parter actually we got a a ton of extremely good questions so i'm going to dive right into them here first one here from romer b what are the chances i see the raptors starters in game 82 of the regular season against the timberwolves i was hoping to make the drive down from winnipeg to minnesota for it but don't want to bother from getting 38 minutes of lorenzo brown i do not blame you if you don't want to get 38 minutes of lorenzo brown um we've been slagging lorenzo brown a lot this week he's a nice guy and i'm glad he got the contract he did 
I just am excited for Fred Van Vliet to be back. Anyway, uh, in terms of if you're going to see the Raptors play other guys in Game 82, uh, I mean, if you saw Game 82 last year in Miami, you saw all the Raptors players uh, to great detriment, of course, when Fred Van Vliet got hurt uh, from that Bam Adebayo scream. But it's tough because it's all going to come down to seeding, I suppose, and how much the Raptors value the seeding and if they're going to try to play the bracket at all. And if there's a chance for them to finish first overall and get home court advantage and them and the Celtics are tied at like 60-ish something wins and, and a win matters, you know, that could very much be an, an important thing. There's also a world in which the Raptors or the Celtics or some other team lock up the top seed in the Eastern Conference before then. So I would say it's like, 60-40 maybe we'd see the Raptors play in that game. I think it's going to be very close at the top of the East. But, I mean, eight games into the season, it's so, so hard to say. But I would say 60-40. You know what? Just get the tickets anyway. Go to the game. You can see the Wolves burn. I mean, maybe Jimmy Butler will still be there, and it'll be his last game, and he'll, like, moon the crowd or something before leaving. Maybe he'll just punch Andrew Wiggins and Kyle, Carl Towns on the bench. Um, you should be going to this game anyway. If it's the potential to be la- the last Jimmy Butler game in, in Minnesota because Tom Thibodeau was so stubborn that he f- refused to trade him all season long that might be worth the price of admission so and and like it's minnesota the tickets are probably like four dollars so do it anyway uh go to the goddamn game and uh go see the the raptors play the wolves in the final game of the season i like the uh the look ahead spirit of this question question number two this comes from nathan drake beyond always giving up offensive rebounds do you see any weaknesses from the raps that other teams can exploit this is a good question and you know the thing about this team is it's hard to find weaknesses right it's a fantastic basketball team with very few holes um and you know anytime there is a weakness on the court for whatever reason there's usually sort of a troubleshoot the raptors can do to get that weakness off the court whether it's you have Jonas out there and valanchunas's defense is not you know up to snuff you can sub him out put in serge Ibaka, and yes those offensive rebounds that we've talked about might be an issue there, but just the the way that that lineup's played with Ibaka and sort of the four staple guys at this point, Lowry, uh, Green, Leonard, and and Siakam, like you're probably going to get by just fine with Ibaka at center there. So if there's a weakness I see, it might be like big and sort of quick point guards that maybe aren't quite big enough to expend a Kawhi Leonard on him to guard. You know, the the Sixers are an interesting team because. If they had more of a wing presence, had they gone out and signed Paul George or something like that, you know, you'd probably stick Kawhi on that guy, and then you're having a real problem there because the Raptors, as good as they are, you know, from from the defensive spot on, in, you know, compared to most teams at point guard, like they're they're very good. Fred VanVleet, Kyle Lowry are excellent defenders. DeLon Wright obviously is amazing. I think against some, I mean, we even saw it with like Eric Bledsoe, for example. Like that's the kind of prototype of a guy that can kind of pick the Raptors apart. A big, bruising, fast point guard. John Wall, even when John Wall's at his peak, is, you know, kind of the kind of guy that I'm talking about here. And it obviously depends on what the other defensive matchups are. And the Raptors, again, they kind of have the moves that they can make, the chess pieces to move to fill in that weakness as well. And, you know, so even like if Kyle Lowry is getting brutalized by Eric Bledsoe or John Wall, you can throw Danny Green on that guy, or you can throw Pascal Siakam on one of those guys, which is insane that you can do that with Siakam, but that's what he is now. He's just a guy who can defend any position at this point, and it's kind of a, uh, a way the Raptors can paper over any of their holes. 
any of their concerns. Obviously, you want Kyle Lowry to be able to hang with whoever his defensive assignment is, but I just think against most teams, the Raptors are going to have ways to sort of supplement their point guard defense with other guys, and I think it's going to be something where like they can hide Kyle on guys. There's not going to be five players who the Raptors can't guard at any time, right? It's just that they have too many good defenders, too many multi multi-positional defenders for that to be a thing. So even if their defensive ability from the point guard spots and their sort of lack of height of their two best point guards is a question mark, I just think the Raptors have ways to get around that. So no, I, I can't really think of any obvious glaring weaknesses with this team right now and that's incredible that's, a, that's a, I mean the offensive rebounding once again is a thing that needs to be addressed but I just they're a team that the way it's set up this is in, in a normal world where the Golden State Warriors don't exist this is a championship level team this really is and championship level teams have very few weaknesses and I just think that's where the Raptors are at right now they're going to be able to sort of deal with anything that comes their way we'll see obviously as the season progresses if more weaknesses reveal themselves if certain guys fall off you know if Serge Ibaka's game falls off from where it's been to uh, you know a more normal level or, or somewhere below that then you know you have issues there obviously and your big man depth becomes a concern um, but other than injuries and just you know the regular attrition of the season there really aren't that many concerns to me right now with this Raptors team, which is super, super encouraging. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Next question here comes from uh, at the Tyler Auger. Who's got whose fifty point game was better, Derrick Rose or Terrence Ross? This isn't even a question. It's Terrence Ross. First of all, because Terrence Ross was, was more fun and uh, you know had more threes and was more unexpected. Derrick Rose, it's tainted by all of the shit Derrick Rose has in his past and like. Last night was one of the most frustrating times I've ever seen because, yeah, basketball-wise, fine. It's cool that Derrick Rose got 50 points, but the conversation around Derrick Rose getting those 50 points was just sickening to me. And the disregard for the rape trial that is still up in the air against him. In two weeks, there is an appeal uh, in that case. And even if there is not a conviction or or he gets off scot-free or whatever, the things that he said, and if you go back and read some of the details of his testimony, the things that he said are inexcusable and unforgivable, to me at least. And the fact that there were all these mainstream media people, Sham Sharania, Mark Stein, Brian Windhorst talking about how what a great story it was that Derrick Rose was able to overcome these the adversity in his past. And, you know, it, the conflating of injuries with the sexual assault trial that he has going on as both being adversity, all under the umbrella of adversity is just disgusting, especially from people with enormous followings who sort of dictate the narratives of the league it's just it's irresponsible mark stein came out today once again and and kind of reiterated yeah there is a trial coming up but it was well after the fact after he tweeted out his fluff piece that the fluff pieces that don't even mention that that that's part of his past right now or in his ongoing present as well it's just mind-blowing to me so uh, terrence ross's 50 points is better i don't give a shit uh derrick rose does not deserve your praise derrick rose has some really disgusting stuff up in the air right now. He's extremely problematic, and the 
instant, the, the, just like the instant desire, the instant urge to be like, oh, Derrick Rose is back. This is amazing. What an amazing story without, you know, taking into account the the really scary stuff and really disgusting stuff that is in his very recent past and is still going on is just, uh, it's unforgivable to me. And, you know, even like Jeremy Lin, Jeremy Lin, Lin tweets out and, and like was like saying the quiet part loud almost in this one where he was like, oh, I'm so glad. It's so great to see Derrick Rose bounce back from injuries in brackets and more. And it's like, Dude, tone deaf. Stop being so tone deaf about this stuff. Even LeBron coming out. LeBron LeBron does a lot of great things, but LeBron's support of guys like Derrick Rose and Lance Stevenson, it, it, it bums me out pretty hard. And just sort of the the way in which we seem to forgive guys whenever they show an inkling that they might be good uh, really bothers me. I think Seerit Sohi, you know, regular guest on this show, said uh, last night as well, like, oh, number, number one rule of NBA Twitter, only... You call a guy out for the things that he's done wrong when he's irrelevant, and you know that—that's the thing, right? You know, whenever Derrick Rose has something nice and does a cool, you know, whatever vintage Derrick Rose move, dick, dick finger quotes around vintage, of course. Um, you know, he, he'd seem—it's just like instant praise for him for overcoming the odds, but like totally disregarding the stuff that's in his past. So no, Der- Derrick Rose's fifty points does not move me. I don't give a shit. Terrence Ross's fifty points is one of the best fifty-point games of all time. Moving on, next question here from Danny Greenhive at 14 underscore Ryan B. Give me a player comp of what Pascal and OG could be at their each at their peak. Pascal is actually kind of interesting right now because the Draymond Green thing has already started with him. And if he reaches his peak and can start hitting threes, the Draymond Green thing is like very real. You know, he's a six foot nine guy who can like legitimately guard every position. There are not many players in the NBA who can legitimately say that they can guard every single position. Usually it's like three or four positions at best. Pascal can guard everybody, and it's terrifying to think of what he could be as his offensive game rounds out. But the fact that he's already bringing the ball up the court, he's already almost overzealous at times with his ability to create offense, it is... Really, really encouraging. And from where he's come from, where in the first season he was terrible for the most part, aside from his ability to leak out and catch those outlet passes and finish them for buckets, and then from that to developing into just a much more refined player and a guy who could defend all of the positions he can defend already. You know, he's obviously an older guy, so who knows how much of his development is still left to do. But if he can continue what he's doing this season, he becomes one of the prototypes of like role players in the NBA that you want to have on title-worthy teams. And Draymond Green, the, the like the the search to find the next Draymond has been so exhausting for the last few years. It's become like, who's the next Jordan almost? Like, oh, who could be the next Draymond Green? The guy who can, you know, rise for and be this like third piece on a, on a championship level team, who can be an all-world defender, who can be a playmaker and just be like a playmaking big who just changes the landscape of, of a team when he's out there. You know, it's been... Every, how many columns have there been? Is like, oh, this guy can be the next Draymond Green. I think Pascal actually, strangely enough, kind of is one of the most closely resembling Draymond Green players we've seen in a long time. And it's a, it's, it's a game changer. If the Raptors have a fully realized Pascal Siakam, and it's not, you know, it's not a guarantee that Siakam's going to get there, but... The by and like I'd, I'd probably bet against it at this point, but him getting to his peak is an absolute game changer for the future of the team, whether it's with Kawhi Leonard or not. And just for even for this season, if he can continue what he's done the last couple of games where he's looked fantastic, he's being more of an involved part of the offense, and his defense is still there, and it's still horrifying if you're going up against him as an offensive player. It's uh. It's really, really exciting what that could be. As far as OG goes, it's so hard to get a handle on OG because I'm not sure exactly how far to expect his 
you know, his, his on-ball abilities to come. You know, he's already a very good defender. He's a good catch-and-shoot three-point shooter, and he's got good instincts. He's a good driver. He's a he's really fantastic at sort of the, the wits and, and the smarts of the game. But with the ball in his hand, he's got a pretty loose dribble right now. Not a whole lot. You know, I think he's got vision of where he wants to, you know, throw his passes, but not really the ability to get to the spots to throw those passes with consistency right now. And maybe that comes. Maybe that he's it's, it's so hard to evaluate OG this season because he's played like three or four games like he's barely been out there um and so it's hard to really sort of gauge exactly how far his development has come especially because he missed a lot of the preseason too so we're kind of going in blind as to what OG is as a player right now I thought I think he's looked good when he's out there and I think him and Pascal are very interchangeable right now as defenders for the team and kind of offer different things if you need someone to be more of a reliable spot-up shooter that's OG he's your guy if you need someone to work a little bit more as an offensive facilitator and creator who can kind of you know jack up the you know dynamism of a unit that's Pascal so they can kind of swap in and out and have nice complementary skills and you know but I, I just I don't know if OG has the the on the ball chops to get to the point where he can be like a Paul George type player or something like that or something you know it's just, it's just so ridiculous to compare him to an all-NBA player but that, that's I think a, a comparison people have thrown out there you know for me I think maybe a more likely one is like oh god this is so tough like Maybe like what like Luol Deng was in his peak with the Bulls. Maybe a bit of a better shooter, but a guy who can play the three and the four. You know, Miami Luol Deng even as well would be kind of an okay comp. Um, a guy who can, you know, yeah, again, play both forward spots, be not, you know, the, the first option in an offense. Maybe Luol Deng was even too, you know, offensively dynamic to really compare to OG right now. But I think that's a, a reasonable comparison. It's really hard with OG because there's such a wide range of outcomes for him that it's, uh, it's hard to pin one down exactly. But yeah, well, screw it. Also, Damari Carroll, like Hawks Damari Carroll could also be one where he becomes just like a, a knockdown three-point shooter, really smart cutter, really good on-ball defender who, you know, never, never quite quite develops as a guy who has chops with the ball in his hands, but does all the other things so well. And like, think about what Damari Carroll would have looked like in the Raptors motion offense. He just would have been so much more at home instead of, you know, what he was doing in the Raptors offense before. You know, the change last season, you know, obviously after they had to jettison him along with the pick to get the, the, the money off the books, you know, had he been there for, for last season, I bet he would have had a much better year. He would have fit in so much better. It was much more hoxy what they were doing last year and this year. Uh, so maybe OG can be something like that. Maybe just like a stronger version of that version of Damari Carroll. Um, that would be, I guess, sort of my median outcome for him. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Next one here comes from Ty Moore at Hey, it's Ty Moore. Uh, rank the Raptors Halloween costume. So I'm not going to go through the entire team, but I'll say my top five, I suppose. Number five, let's go with... 
Jonas Valanciunas is pretty good. The the Frankenstein look that he had, it, it was a very well done, I guess Frankenstein's monster, if you're going to be uh, pedantic about it. Um, he, he had a pretty good look. The, the full green-bodied makeup was really nice. So I'll give Jonas number five. Uh, number four, let's go Danny Green. Also very sort of all out. He was the Riddler, of course. Uh, looked in like anytime you can pull off a Halloween costume where you're wearing like a suit and you looked really good while you're doing it while also being in costume that's pretty good to me so I'll give Danny Green number four number three you the Usain Bolt costume by Pascal Siakam was pretty good it was very simple I know but just as someone who is like the fastest player in the NBA or one of them it's kind of a nice you know on point thematic costume for Pascal Siakam so uh, I think he's number three. He looked really good. He sported it really well. Crazy that he dressed up as somebody he's actually faster than. But you know, it's Halloween. Why not? You know, try to pretend you're not something you're not. Um, also, I bet Pascal is probably a better soccer player than Usain Bolt is right now. He's kind of under some fire for being not a very good soccer player in Australia. Pascal played soccer his entire life. Um, but yeah, so the, the very on point costume by by Pascal. So I think he's number three. Number two, oof, let's go with. Actually, let me change up the ranking. I'll bump everybody up one spot, and I'll put number five. I'll put Kyle and his wife. Uh, I'm guessing their uh, <laughs> their costume was something from Norbit, the movie Norbit, the Eddie Murphy joint that came out, I don't know, at some point in the mid-aughts. Um, but I, it's like, I'm, I'm okay with a deep-cut costume that like 10% of people get. I had to look this one up. I'd ask my girlfriend actually what the hell it meant. Um, she ended up knowing, thankfully, but... Um, yeah, so that that would be, I guess, my pick is Kyle's number five from whatever characters from Norbit that he is, because give me a good deep cut costume. Um, and the number one, it's not even close, man. It's Nick Nurse as Bob Ross, the on-TV painting dude. I mean, it's a perfect costume. And also just like one of my favorite, uh, actually one of the only good sketches ever done on This Hour Has 22 Minutes up here on CBC uh, was the Art Break one where it's the Bob Ross parody thing they do. Um, yeah, no, so that that hit me a little bit because I used to love that part of This Hour Has 22 Minutes and no other parts. I pretty much watch it just for that. Um, but anyway, uh, shouts to Nick Nurse. What a fantastic costume. You win with your Bob Ross costume. Next one here from Brendan Kelly at The Real BK Kelly. If Fred is back healthy for the Phoenix game, do you think Lowry should be rested? I'd like to see his workload managed, but to a lesser extent than Kawhi Leonard. Um, I don't think he should be rested for the Phoenix game. I think, um, you know, the Lowry thing... It's probably a little too early to be worrying about his minutes. I know I've kind of talked about it on the podcast a couple times already, just sort of about his his minutes load and, and sort of how it's up already from where it was last season. I think that's going to normalize. I think it's going to kind of come way down once Van Vliet and Wright are both back and fully functioning. Wright's not been right since he got back, um, and obviously Van Vliet's still out. So I do think once those guys are back in, we'll see those minutes distributed a little bit you know, more friendly to Kyle, and he'll be playing probably something like 31 or 32 minutes. It's a game, um, and I think it's probably too early to worry about rest, worrying to worry about resting Kyle. I think that's something that over the course of the season they should definitely look at. But while this Kawhi rest is going on, I think keeping Kyle in the loop and, and sort of having him run the team is not a bad idea at all. And again, I think he'll kind of get his rest when it's when it's in game when he's not playing 35, 36 minutes a game, and it's you know getting scaled back a little bit. Honestly, with Kyle, sometimes I just wish he would stop trying so hard late in games um, when he's when the team is kind of out of it, like when they were down 20 to Milwaukee and he's still going up and you know jumping into the paint and stuff like that. It's like, all right, dude, like we we get it. You you were very competitive. Um, actually, read 
uh, Eric Kareen's piece about Kyle Lowry on The Athletic this week. It's fantastic uh, and such a good uh, summation of how intense Lowry can be and how much of just like a leader he is on the team even this season when people thought his leadership was going to be in question because of the DeMar thing um, that obviously has been proven incorrect this season so back to the original question no I think Lowry's minutes load is fine right now it's not like he has a crazy high usage right now either like he's playing 35 minutes a game but he's got like a 19% usage rate so if they're keeping his usage down I, I and he's kind of just out there dish and assist to Serge Ibaka all damn game. I don't think it's like he's he's not putting that much of a toll on his body right now. And again, it's early. They'll have his t- they'll have the time to rest him. There'll be stretches of the season where they have multiple back-to-backs. Um but while they're while while they're resting Kawhi on back-to-backs, I don't think they're going to want to have both of those guys resting at any time. So I, I think we'll see, you know, early in the you still want to win games, right? You want to bank those wins so later on you can go about resting Kyle and Kawhi and all these other guys. So uh, bank as many wins as you can now so you can approach the end of the season with more of an eye on the playoffs okay i've gone on quite a long time so i'm going to cut this bad boy off at the halfway point and turn this into a two-parter so stay tuned for tomorrow's episode of locked on raptors which will be the second part of this mailbag podcast i'll also have another podcast after the phoenix game on friday night or saturday morning at some point as well so you'll have an extra podcast for this week uh thank you so much for listening we will talk to you on the second half of this mailbag on the next time on locked on raptors Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.